three, two, one. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Don't forget to add the two-on-one podcast in the how did you hear about Podgo section of your application. Now get ready for the rest of the episode. Daniel, how's it going? You know what? I'm good, man. Great Sunday morning. Or afternoon, but I'm or evening good. or evening. Night. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know when people are watching this or listening to this. <laughs> exactly. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, which you, if you're not, you should most definitely watch it on YouTube. Um, you notice that there's just two of us. Um, Adam is going to be back eventually. He will. Uh, he brought it up a last episode. If you haven't listened to it, you should go back and listen to that episode too. Um, so you're just going to be stuck with Daniel and I for the next month. It's the one-on-one podcast for now. The, <laughs> it's the one-on-one podcast. Should we get started? We have so much to talk about today. There's a lot. There, I never realized from since Wednesday how many things happened in the I, NHL. I started writing things down throughout the week. I think I started writing on Thursday and I checked last night around headlines time. And I'm like, mm-hmm man this is gonna be a great episode and there's like there's montreal things to talk about and it's gonna be so yeah. weird talking about montreal yeah when that happened i'm like oh man without adam of all the things that happened with that you know pretty crazy trade yeah, yeah. we'll get to it we'll get we to will, it let's let, there's uh since wednesday there have been four awards um announcements uh let's start with the lady bing uh, which Nathan McKinnon won. What do you think about Nathan McKinnon winning the Lady Bing Trophy? Yeah, you know, we talked about before this award. It's like, what do you call it? The Nice Guy Award? Apparently, it's a nice guy on the ice. I don't, we don't know yeah. if it's on and off the ice. We're kind of confused. I don't know. Nathan McKinnon, you know, nice guy, always has a nice smile. Uh, you know, promotes the Tim Hortons hockey cards that we always tend to buy That's pretty true. well. I think he deserves it. Um, but man, I don't know why. For me, in my heart, I wanted Austin Matthews to win it simply because the guy needs another award in his trophy case. Yeah, I think so. Just to solidify him like a little more for me, just to people could stop saying like he's overrated because you know he's winning the awards. I, I feel like the Leafs fan in me wants to give Austin Matthews um, the award, but then I think about what happened back in the summer or last summer. I guess yeah. I, I just realized we're in the fall of 2020. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, like it's so hard justifying giving him that award based on the description. And I know there was a couple people who did come out afterwards and say, uh, I left him off my ballot because because of that. And and I think it's fair. Like I, I, I think mm-hmm. it, it's justifiable. You know, it's it it's very recent. And I think we talked about it when it happened that now it's up to Matthews. To prove to, to prove to everyone else that that was a one-time incident, and I don't, and I hate, 
I hate the idea that it's going to linger over him his entire career. Yeah. But I look at, you know, Ryan O'Reilly was a, was a finalist this year. And I think did he, if he not, he might've won it last year or he was a finalist last year as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had his incident as well. So I, I, I think Matthews has to prove it to us that he's changed or moved on from that incident. Yeah. It's fine balance between, I guess actual you know actual game on the ice and you know how they live their lives but you know we still love austin exactly uh kind of a stupid thing he did but all in all we'll move forward with that uh the next award the one that we all predicted clearly sean couturier has won the selkie he finally did it my boy did he deserve the selkie I think so. <laughs> well, you made the know. argument. You yes. made the argument when we did our awards show that he had done enough uh, to beat out Patrice Bergeron. And I think was Ryan O'Reilly up for this award too? Yes, I believe so. He beat out both those guys. You know, both quality two-way guys. I think you know. Um, I think it was his time to win it. Um, he's finally like what year three or four of his, you know, this dominant prime he's been having that and you know he's really been the anchor for the flyers on both ends of the ice i think um except in the playoffs except in the playoffs you know just <laughs> i mean that's like you could pick any flyers that, to be honest <laughs> that's true that is very very true what what explain it to me again what was that step he took because i feel like when we look at Patrice, <clears throat> Adam puts it that he is that line in in terms of his two-way game because he's so important. You take Patrice out, you take Bergeron out, and it changes so much for that line. What about Sean Couturier? I think for me personally, like the way their top six is built, you take away Couturier, you kind of take out like a huge chunk at the same time. Like they don't have that, you know, perfect line like the Bruins or they don't, they don't, you know, they don't have lineups that kind of like go like, you know, that follow that first line. It's it's kind of like the Flyers are not as built the same way. I, I think, I personally think quality wise or consistency wise mm-hmm. that you take someone who has been a consistent person like Couturier and it changes a lot of things as well. Like we've talked about, you know, ass, ass, assessing Claude Giroux, like what, does he bring to a team now or is he no longer that like focal point guy that you kind of kind of look at for me personally i think that is sean couturier right and right. i think yeah the trophy kind of like i think for me personally it speaks to itself this year that he deserved it and he was a big part of that flyers team that made that incredible run and you know made it pretty far in the playoffs can we talk about why mark stone was not in the top three I don't. I don't know why it wasn't like. But he finished fifth in voting. Uh, yeah, I believe it was Couturier, Bergeron, O'Reilly, Sorelli, and Mark Stone. Why can't we give wingers the credit they they especially this winger because this wing he's probably the best two way winger. Mm-hmm. I'd I'd make the argument he's the best two way winger or defensive winger uh, in the league and. Yes, Anthony Sorelli. And if you ask Jeff Merrick, Anthony Sorelli should have won the Selkie. But I, I, I think 
you're saying, yeah, in terms of like pure defensive centers, defensive forwards. Sure. But I think, you know, I would put Mark Stone and maybe his recent, his recent uh, games in the playoffs might have not shown that. But in the regular season, mm-hmm. I think he's over Sorelli and I, I think he's over O'Reilly. And I think the finalists should have been Stone, Couture, and Bergeron. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, I'm a huge Mark Stone fan. I think I was looking through past winners, and I don't know. When has the center bias, like, when has it happened? Like, I remember looking back, Sergei Fedorov, when he was on the Red Wings, he won it as a, like, as a winger. And I think about that, where I'm like, yeah, that, that has happened before. No one kind of batted an eye. Now it's just like, it has to be a center. But I completely agree that Mark Stone should have made it. He... You know, here and there, like, he had his moments in the playoffs. But, man, the way he's been playing, like, all those, like, gifts they've been showing him, like, he just takes away the puck without, you know, yeah. without any hesitation, continues no. to play anywhere on the ice. Like, he's just, like, the all-around guy that I I think, personally, he should have won it. Yeah. Uh, second to last award so far, uh, the Jack Adams. And... Unfortunately, my boy Alain Vigneault did not win no. the Jack Adams. It turned out to be Bruce Cassidy who led his team to pre- a President's Trophy uh, and a second-round exit in the playoffs. I think it's one of those things like, all right, you got it. Well-deserved. Well, it's, not, it's interesting. Not much fanfare there. It, it, it's interesting that it's finally the team who, who, high, who was really good, the coach yeah. got it. Like last year, it was the Islanders. It was Barry Trotz got it, mm-hmm. uh, and was did Barry Trotz get it last year or two years ago? I cannot remember. Because to be it's honest. so yeah. to think about John Cooper not winning the not winning the Jack Adams and having one of the best teams to ever touch the ice. Yeah, I think yeah, I was rooting for John Tortorella this year. Like yeah. that Columbus team was something else with the amount of losses they took. Yeah, and still managed to make a you know a competent team. So, yeah, it was it was kind of weird. Like Bruce Cassidy, just I don't know. It's just it's the kind of thing where like man, you you hate to see the Bruins win, and then to, for them to also win this is just I hate to see any team in Boston win. You know, okay. consolation prize I think for them for losing <laughs> to the Lightning. But what I kind of see it oh. as is, you know, he just makes that team work. I think we've mentioned before that bottom six that it just works for them so well but i see i see myself putting that on any other team and i don't think see it working in the same way like i i forget sometimes how this team makes like a matt grizzlick look so good or uh you know joachim nordstrom kind of player where these guys were i don't Arlen see them home. yes i don't <laughs> see them oh who leaps great <laughs> home. yes that i don't really see these guys you know on paper working, but it's just the on ice production has been like great. What he's been able to get out of them. It or, works with that team. Yeah. Or Charlie Coyle, where it's a guy where he not, he might not be your top score, but he's just so perfect in that lineup. Right. I, we have to do this last award. Forget Kyle Dubas. You have to bring back Lou Lamorello. Okay. That's what it is. Lou Lamorello. Won the uh, Jim Gregory GM of the Year award for 
I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know. Like he added. <laughs> okay. He listen. I'll give him credit. He added uh, Pajo. He added Andy Green. Mm-hmm. What else? Um, I'm looking at Semyon uh, Varlamov. NHL tra- TradeTracker.com and uh, yeah. I know. Remember he acquired Matt Martin. <laughs> But he that was last Jor- year. Yeah. He got Jordan Schmaltz from the Leafs or Matt Lorito. Was that this year? This was this year, February oh. 24th. Same day as the Pajot trade. That seems like a long, long time ago. Yeah. But it's still like, okay, he added three. He added three guys. I just. I think it's in a way to like what he gets out of the guys. Like with Lou on the Leafs, he didn't really have, I guess, that freedom or that time to kind of establish his own signature on the team, I think. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily say that because I think you look at what happened with how the team changed when Lou left and Dubis came in and the tweaks that were made. Mm-hmm. I think, okay, maybe he didn't have his team solidified, but you bring in – you bring in Marlowe. You sign Zaitsev to seven years. You have Matt Martin. You have Leo Komarov. You still have Roman Polak. Like I think he had his guy. Like he had the guys that he liked on the team there. Yeah. And I think it meshed with the way Mike Babcock coached. Okay. Yeah, I could see that too. Like I think but, with the Islanders, yeah. it just it's for me. It's a bit of like a throwback to his New Jersey days. Like I remember like getting to know more of like Lou as like, you know, became an older fan is like, he always demands loyalty yeah. in a way. And the way I see it, like, you know, we always laugh about it, but like the Andy green trade, that's just, you know, it's his old time captain from New Jersey. The Zacharyze almost getting traded to the Islanders. Yeah. And the other guys he's been like kind of keeping around getting the most out of like the Brock Nelson, the Anders yeah. Lee, uh, the Josh Bailey, these kind of guys where, you know, these are the longtime guys that, you know, you say, like, let's try to find a fit for you or, you know, not biting the Matt Barzell kind of extension kind of thing. It just, you know, just right. didn't give him the money right away. I, I think the thing with Lou joining the Islanders is that you look at that team when he joined the Islanders and they were already, it already felt partially like Lou's team. Uh, they already had like you look at they already had their bigger guys they had they had more they didn't have a they had well Matt Barzell is a star but they didn't have a superstar they had stars and really good pieces around that star and I feel like Mm -hmm. that's Lou if I because his teams were so they were filled with depth in a way you look at those New Jersey teams yeah, right? and I think what he did this year is add to that, add to the team that already felt like Lou's team, or to me at least, it felt like Lou's team. Yeah, like I feel he was like I completely agree. Where he's more in his element now with this team that, and he's a guy like you know like the diamond in the rough kind of thing where he gives these guys chances. Like ever since he's come in, like Scott Mayfield, you know Adam Pellick, these guys have really developed into true NHLers. Um, Nick Letty keeps being Nick Letty, but Johnny Boychuk, Johnny Boychuk, yeah. And then it's still trying, he still makes it work with like the Casey Zekas, Matt Martin, Cal Clutterbuck. Like, that is such a throwback line <laughs> that I didn't expect to work or be so effective, even in the, like the playoffs. 
Yeah. Like, this, despite Cal Clutterbuck's, like, injuries and everything, but, like, he still managed <laughs> to kind of keep that line rolling, which is really amazing to me. For sure. Um, I, I Let's get to some... Uh, let, we'll call it good news because I do think that that what this is 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 good news. The NHL is pushing for an 82 game uh, season now. Uh, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly was uh, on the Two Man Advantage podcast with uh, Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBron, and there are a couple things that came out were number one is that we're probably not going to see a December 1st start and the NHL still has a preference of playing 82 games and they're not necessarily sold on the bubble model for that full 82 game season and last night on headlines something that I get I said I wouldn't be surprised if the NHL does is look at that NFL model and literally just before we started the podcast uh, apparently no positive cases uh, in the NFL leading up to week one. Mm-hmm. What do you think hear. of two things? What do you think of the NHL wanting to play 82 games next for the 2021 season, considering the circumstances and bubble or no bubble for next season? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess like if they do agree to do the 82 season, I, I don't know. I kept thinking of the expanded rosters kind of method where, you know, there might be a lot more back-to-backs with the condensed season where, you know, maybe teams will actually have three goalies. Right. You know, they have their starter and they have, like, two backups that, you know, like maybe like the New York Rangers approach in a way that they might have to kind of do that depending on how close the games are. Um, I think you're going to see more shuffling in lineups depending on how fatigued guys get. You know, you're going to see more of that depth come out from the system. Right. And in terms of not doing the bubble, um, I'm going to, for that, I'm going to say, I'm going to do the cop out kind of way and say, we'll see right. how things go. Because I know like the NFL has a pretty solid plan, but then I look at like the MLB right now where, you know, they've really rooted out the pro- like the cases, like they've been pretty effective with testing, yeah. but there's still these instances that come up. Like I think yesterday there was one person in the, New- in the San Francisco Giants organization who tested positive and then they had to cancel all the weekend games. Right, right. I, I think for me, the one thing with uh, not having the bubble, I, I, I think I would be okay with it in terms of, hey, these are the rules that we've set. If you don't follow the rules, you're going to be punished, whether that means you, you have to quarantine for this amount of days and you have to test negative for this amount of days, or you get kicked out. I don't know what the what the rules are in terms of the specifics in the NFL and the MLB. I know earlier on, uh, towards the beginning around spring, whenever spring training was, I guess it's summer training. <laughs> it's yeah, summer training. Summer training. Um, they did say, "Hey, you guys can go home." <laughs> like they, they weren't following the rules, and I think that's if that's the method that works. I, I think it'll be fine. I don't necessarily think in Canada, we're going to see fans in, in, in the arena. I know they're testing that out in the, in the U S at yeah. the moment in a couple of stadiums. I don't know if that's going to be the case in Canada. And, and another thing that might happen, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is the case, 
are we going to see are we going to see Canadian NHL teams have to find home bases in the in the U- US because the Canadian government isn't going to allow that travel and the reason i bring that up is because in the MLS what they mm-hmm. did is they started with the Canadian teams okay you guys all go to Canada you're going to play each other so those games are out of the way and then you're going to come to the and what it seems like at the moment is they're going to go to the US find a home base and that's going to be it Mm-hmm. Is that I, something you see happening? Yeah, I, I remember like reading was Toronto FC is going to Connecticut, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, honestly, in terms of like, yeah, isolation and uh, the amount of time given and, you know, getting the games out of the way, I think that's a perfect idea. I think the NHL can do that as well, where, you know, the Leafs do their whole, you know, battle of Ontario and against the Habs and then against the Jets and like here and there and, you know, get those games out of the schedule, get them done, and then, you know, get them back into the U.S. But right. it just, I think it's also kind of gauging too. Like, I'm just thinking, man, like, this is a lot of, this is a lot of playing. This is a lot of, like, being away from their families. And I understand that, like, it is their job and everything. But, man, that that is going to be, it just, it's tiring for me to, to like, to, <laughs> yeah. like I'm, even, I'm not even a player, but, like, just it's tiring to think about that kind of rigid schedule. Where it For can sure. work though, it it can, and I think the you brought up the um, a lot of playing issue, and listen, like these guys want to go to the Olympics, yeah, and, and I really think that, it, in my opinion, and I brought it up on the podcast multiple times, is that I think that's going to backfire on them because they're going to play 82 games in January. They're going to start, let's say they're starting around January and 82 game season plus the playoffs brings them to where it brings them into the summer for sure. And, and then they're going to start again, the 21, 20, 20, 2021, 2022 season. And then they have the play. They have the Olympics at the beginning of 2022. That's a lot. Yeah. It's like, like, that's a lot of games. I think, I don't know. It's just, I guess a lot of players, like it's just that there's that willingness to, to kind of be like, we got to do this in a way, which is, it's a funny, it's a huge contrast from like, you know, USA basketball where, you know, you had so many guys withdraw from the Olympics. It's so different with the, with the NHL when it comes to like these countries, these guys wanting to represent them. And yeah. I think there's that hunger now where they don't, they didn't get to go to Pyeongchang. And, you know, I think someone like, you know, a Sidney Crosby is like, he's going to miss his opportunity to do this at least one more time. Or a Steven Stamkos yeah. is like, I want to make my debut if he makes the team. If, if number one, if he makes the team and number yeah. two, if he's healthy, I think he'll make the team. I think it's a matter of if, if, uh, if he's healthy. Yeah, it, it's definitely, I guess it's something we're going to see over time, develop over time. Are they going to do the bubble? Are they not going to do the bubble? Like, let, let's remember, like, back in June, they didn't even tell us where the bubbles were until, mm-hmm. like, two weeks before, which was, like, the bare minimum for them to set up the bubbles. That was funny. I remember we were both predicting Columbus. Pittsburgh. We just we were we were picking, yeah. like let's be honest we were picking smaller cities. Vegas. It just and yeah and Vegas apparently yeah. I don't know why they were so gung ho on having it in in Vegas I don't understand why but okay that's fine. 
we'll, we'll see what happens. I think they're going to watch the NFL. I bet they've been watching the MLB, and I think over time uh, it's going to progress. Something I heard on Inside, TSN's Insider Trading uh, with LeBron and Darren Dreger is Hockey Canada looking at uh, – the Edmonton bubble for the world juniors. So my, I, I'm guessing that the world juniors for 20, is it, would it be 2021? 20, yeah. 20, juniors. 21. Yeah. Um, was going to be in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was and, in the, yeah, it was supposed to be on the West coast. So I guess it seems like Edmonton, they've done the bubble. Uh, all these, all these leagues uh, will be playing like the, uh, the, the, sorry, the CHL is going to start. The European leagues uh, are starting, or some of them are. Mm-hmm. So let's like, what do you think about the bubble? Because I think that's thinking about these guys are coming from different places. Like I think they're coming from Canada, they're coming from Europe. For me, it seems a little bit worrying in terms of you're going to put all these people into a bubble, and I understand you're going to test them. And we already saw it with the NHL bubble that, hey, listen, like guys were coming back from Europe. Guys were coming from the U.S. Guys were coming from different cities in Canada. They were tested, and, and it's worked out perfectly as of now. But are you still a little bit worried about this idea of them coming from all over the world? I think so. Um, you know, we already passed the August phase where, you know, this, typically when the real junior, pre, like the, the training camps start, they haven't had any of that. Um, I think if they're going to try to do this, first of all, they're going to do the training camps and they're going to have the arrival of every all the players be as early as possible before a start date. So people can quarantine. They could, they could make sure that they test everybody. But I think, yeah, like the protocols have to be there. I think it's a bit worrisome now that, you know, we're already into like almost mid-September and they want the World Juniors to happen, but they just, I don't know how they're going to kind of gauge, like we're going to do the tryouts now because they can't do it the same way. And I don't know if they're just going to pick guys now based on merit or based on like performance in these leagues. I know like some countries kind of have to do that, but I'm yeah. looking at like, you know, like Finland, Sweden, US and Canada. Like these are those juggernaut teams that they have so much talent that I, I don't know how they're going to assess in a safe way, how they're going to gauge their talent for this tournament. Right. It, it, it's going to be a most definitely going to be an interesting process of how they're going to get to that decision because they're let's, let's look at like, fine, let's look at Sweden. Like they're taking players from different teams and I understand that they're playing, but you're going to say, okay, come to this tryout. And then they're going to go back to their team. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, I didn't make the team. Right. <laughs> so Yeah. It's an odd concept, but listen, I think they'll they'll figure out figure it out. I think we're at a completely different understanding of how to do things mm-hmm. back that like completely different than if we looked at back in March when we were still doing the podcast, absolutely confused at what the hell was going on in the world. Uh, the NHL has done a bubble, the MLS has done a bubble, the NBA is doing a bubble. NFL and MLB are doing whatever, like they're doing, they're still traveling. The, the, the Premier League, the Bundesliga, all these leagues have been doing their own thing. And I think they're all going to pick and choose from each other. And, mm-hmm. and we'll get some, like leagues are still playing, right? 
So it'll be interesting to see what uh, the World Juniors does in terms of that. I was concerned about that, to be honest. I remember I was thinking, like, oh, no, this is the year I'm not going to watch it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, safety first, but, yeah, it's just it's something that, you know, I just hold so special with me or mention it too many times on the show for it to not happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of <laughs> – sorry, sorry. Um, there's a couple that, well, there's one guy who is leaving his team, which is so upsetting. Uh, Haley Salvian from the athletic broke that Mark Boriecki is set to test the waters of free agency for the first time in his career. It's kind of shocked me because I remember everyone on Twitter was saying like, he's the next captain. Eugene, Pierre, stop letting this guy don't don't let this guy leave. <laughs> don't let this guy leave. It to me, it makes zero sense. And for a couple of reasons. Number one, you have the cab space. Who who cares? And I understand Eugene doesn't like to spend money, but how much are you possibly paying Mark Boriecki? Like one point. Five, two million? Two, let's know. give him two million because two million. he's a great guy. Right. Yeah. And so you have loads of cap space and you have to hit the floor. You have to hit the floor, the minimum. Number two, this is a guy you want to have in your locker room. This seems yeah. like the perfect guy. You know, he seems like a nice guy. Boro cop. He stopped <laughs> the, was it the robbery? Is that what it was? Yeah. Like he seems like, he seems like a leader in that locker room, especially for a team who goes through ups and downs and goes through off ice things all the time. You need someone, you need a strong presence in that locker room. And I really think that he fits that mold perfectly. Yeah. Like he has been a veteran guy, I think for that team where a lot of the young guys that Ottawa is developing right now, they've become familiar with him. He's been a guy around the locker room that's kind of have had that positive effect, you know, that you would want with a team that's that's rebuilding. And to see the fact that he has to test free agency and it's been it's already been said out there is it's pretty disappointing because I've seen him as a fixture with Sens. I've seen him as a guy where you know he's not necessarily gonna he's not gonna you know be your top end guy, but he's a guy where. You know, I'm looking at someone like Eric Brandstrom who could really learn a lot from this guy, from from Mark Boriecki. Even and I understand this guy is much better than Mark Boriecki, but someone like Thomas Shabbat, yeah, like he can that the leadership quality that I think Boriecki has that he can that he can teach Thomas Shabbat. Like, let's be honest, Thomas Shabbat is all but the next captain for this team, and you could talk about Brady Kachuk. But I really think Thomas Shabbat is is that oh, is should be yeah the captain of the Ottawa Senators whether whether you whether you like it or not. Now I have to bring this up, but someone wrote an article um, saying forget Petrangelo. The Leafs should sign Mark Boriecki. I'd love that. I'd actually love that signing. Where I remember the like there was a Radic Gudis. I remember there's the Radic Gudis argument, but I don't know. Listen, where the hell is he gonna play? The left side 
is full. And if he listen, and I'm not the guy who says you have to have a guy who plays like who's left-handed on the left and right-handed on the right. I I'm like if you can play on the right properly, and you're left-handed, go ahead. I don't care. Just I need someone to play on the right. Just tell him, listen, Mark. No matter what, you're on the right. Yeah, like if is he gonna be another Ron Hainsey? Is that what this is gonna be? I don't know. I mean, it worked pretty well. It worked out like okay. Uh, I mean, he was great. I mean, I don't know if great. He was good in his own end. He did what he needed to, to do. do. Anything else, it was it was a stretch. Yeah. Uh, it was. Listen, if he can play on the right side, I'm more than happy to to bring him in. If not, I don't think it necessarily makes sense for the team because you have Riley, you have Muzzin, you have Dermot, you have Sandine, you have Lettinen. Mm-hmm. Like there's just there's all that all those other guys who I'd rather play on the left side over Martin Boriecki, yeah. right? Whereas the right side you have have a little more room uh, to to work with. What teams like what teams do you think go after Mark Boriecki? I think teams like the Ottawa Senators, to be honest, teams that need grit. <laughs> yeah. And they need a guy that helps their young guys, like, you know, maybe being a defender on the ice for them or just being that positive voice in the locker room. And I'm looking at the Detroit Red Wings, that they have so many guys coming up. They have a couple draft picks they're going to have this year, and they're not going to contend. Like, there's no way to contend, like, no. unless at all. But he's a guy where they could probably pay him, like, the $3 million or something just to get him on the team to say, you know, be a leader here. Or, you know, depending on where he kind of sees himself now, I think he could go to contender as well. You know, there's a lot of teams that are going to need that sandpaper. You know, he skates pretty well for bottom pairing guy. Um, I just don't, I don't see on the Leafs, to be honest. I, I, I've, I feel more Vancouver for some reason than the Leafs. There's a couple teams in the Atlantic division who I have – a feeling would be in on a guy like Mark Boriecki. If he goes to the Bruins and I'm like, oh, this is such a... The Bruins and the Lightning. Yeah. They're going to be in an in a cap crunch. Uh, well, especially the Lightning. You look at, they still have to re-sign Sorelli. They have to re-sign Sergachev. Like, this isn't going to be a cheap offseason for them. And I've already, we've already talked about, they're probably going to have to get rid of a guy or two. And, you know, you never know. Like, that guy, it's not Mark Boriecki. The only team that would is going to overspend to bring him in would be the Ottawa Senators just because they have mm-hmm. to hit the floor. Um, but I think most other teams would say, hey, come, maybe not league men, but 950. And Boston, listen, Boston's could potentially lose Chara and they could potentially lose Krug. And... I made the argument that I wouldn't be surprised if they go after um, go after OEL. I don't know how they do it, but I wouldn't be surprised. But Mark Boriecki, I guess, to fill out the bottom pair, I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like that's the type of guy that works in the in the depths of Boston. It's funny. It's like it's like, like I think it was the same thing we said about Dustin Buffalo. It's a guy you'd love to see on a team you like, like the Leafs, but that yeah. like, it's also a kind of guy who fits the mold of the Bruins, which you don't like to see. No, I don't like to see it. Cause it makes them better. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's a guy that will help you defend against 
the Bruins, but at the same time, he's like cut from the same cloth as the Bruins. Unfortunately, unfortunately, um, I brought this up before about paying paying guys, and it's the NHL is about to enter a very difficult time for a lot of a lot of their teams. And Frank Salver- Frank Saravelli, sorry, uh, had reported at least seventeen NHL franchises have enacted pay cuts that include GMs, coaches, and hockey operations department staff. And and these are the teams that he has listed. Anaheim, Buffalo, Calgary, Chicago, the Blue Jackets, Dallas, Edmonton, the Kings, Minnesota, Montreal, Nashville, Ottawa, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Vancouver, and Winnipeg. And I also read somewhere that there could be some owner changes coming wow. in the NHL. It's surprising that list Montreal is there because I would consider them as like, yeah. I don't know. It's like, I think of Adam. <laughs> I think of like, that's how the fans are. No matter what, they'll come in. It's like the Leaf fans. So I, that's surprising to see that they've had to have some revenue cuts there as well. Um, Man, a lot of, that's yeah. a lot of teams, by it's the way. It's a whole on that list. lot of teams. And it's, and I'm, you know, Brian Burks always brings this up that they set escrow to a limit of twenty percent, mm-hmm. but he's like, I wouldn't be surprised if it's if it ends up being like forty, because wow. think about think about how much gate revenue is to the league. It's it's over fifty percent. It's over half of their half of their. Uh, re- their hockey-related revenue, and it, it's gonna it's gonna be if the if they don't have fan any fans in the stands next season, it's gonna be very difficult for some teams. And they're already talking about a list of teams who are gonna be budget teams, and that's gonna be it's gonna be a nightmare. I really think it's yeah. not going to be good for the league. I'm not at all. I think that, you know, even when times were good, he still had a lot of teams kind of struggling to kind of, you know, meet that revenue that, you know, if they weren't winning, then they weren't getting any revenue. And we talked about, you know, those top teams that were kind of just helping these, you know, I guess, quote unquote, lower, lower revenue teams just trying to get by. The, and, the five, five big teams. Yeah. That, the five yeah. big teams. And yeah, yeah, it's just upsetting because you kind of want the game. You know, they. I think they're at a point where you know that constant thing that we want the game to grow in these new markets, and you're you're taking a step back now, where teams you've listed are the ones that have to keep building up that fan base. Also, to Minnesota on that list, I that's that's weird to me because they always keep saying that they're the state of hockey, and you know they have the university. Like the NCAA at like Minnesota Duluth, all, all like those type of like programs there. That it's surprising to me that they're losing this type of money. It, it's yeah, it's it's a scary, it's a scary thought because we're talking about the cap being flat for a few years, even if the cap goes up. What? Like 17 teams right now, revenues, all their revenue is gone. Like it's it's 
over 50% is gone right now for, mm-hmm. for a lot of these teams and really not looking like, like I think the, the leagues are pushing their start date a little bit every time so that, okay, we'll get fan We'll get fans. Then we'll get fans. Then we'll get fans. Then. And you, we don't know when there's fans going to, when there's going to be fans in the seats. Yeah. And, Think about all like think about how bad the pandemic hit the economy. Like even if in three years the 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 salary cap goes up, who says that these teams are gonna still be they're gonna be cap teams? Like I think this year was an anomaly. Like it's not this year was an anomaly because remember I was there was like fifteen or or seventeen teams who were a million and a half within the cap. I can't see. I cannot see that being the case within the within the next five years because so many so many owners have been losing money like. We have to like. I think we have to remember that these owners, yes, they run the hockey team, but they have things outside of hockey, and everything was shut down for three months. Yeah, and then started opening up. And think about the ho- the guys who own the hotels, the guys who are in restaurants, the guys who are in casinos. They've been they've been closed. Like they haven't been making money. I just think of the revenue aspect of it too. Like I remember I was talking to a few. Uh other fans like this was um, at Ryerson and I don't know it's just it was such a simple statement they told me but it's something that's kind of the reality of the revenue like the revenue aspect right now is just like I'm not gonna buy a jersey I'm not gonna buy a hat to sit at home and watch the game no no it's it's bigger you're right it's bigger than just having fans in the stands because not having fans in the stands are gonna affect other things concessions yeah. uh jerseys pro, pro like the those programs yeah. all the league is getting right now for the most part is yes there's still some people buying jerseys of course they're getting all the ad revenue and the talk and the tv deals that's it mm-hmm. so it's gonna be interesting to see the future of of hockey in terms in terms of how it works economically i think there's going to be some some big changes there's just something one thing i want to say just it's just a simple blanket statement kind of thing where i always mentioned with people is that i really hate the word bandwagon fan yeah why because i don't care if you're a bandwagon fan quote unquote bandwagon fan like do you want your team to relocate (laughs) <laughs> you know let them let there be those those people that you know jump on like the whole playoff run and everything you know like yeah more revenue to the team like i don't want another atlanta thrashers situation yeah it, it, listen we can we need all the bandwagon fans we can get right now yes it's just uh, like that's how what, every time i think of that or like when people kind of get into those arguments we're like oh the the bandwagons versus the true fans you know you know, at the end of the day, the jersey sale is still the same. 
Yeah, from <laughs> I think I think from a business standpoint, who cares if you're a bandwagon or a true fan as long as you're spending money? And then and then I think about it from a fan perspective. It just this is just me. I hate bandwagon fans. I hate bandwagon fans because they they think they're know it alls. I'm like, man, you have not been. And now I feel like I'm walking myself I think back. Yeah, because you're the least like fan. You're like, <laughs> you, you haven't, you don't know the pain, guys. <laughs> That's the thing. And last episode, I go, listen, you don't need pain. Listen, you don't need pain to win. I'm more than happy for you to join the Leafs bandwagon. The more, the merrier. But yeah. when Marner, when Marner has one bad game, or when Nylander has one bad game, don't hop on the bandwagon and say he should be traded. Yeah, don't, that's, the, that's, that's their that's NHL the, twenty uh, this, yeah, it's not mentality NHL coming 20. in. It's not NHL twenty. It's not you can't just find a trade. You actually have to work to make a trade. Okay. They don't understand, Alex. That <laughs> when you looked at the lineup on the right side of Mitch Marner, you remember Michael Grabner and PA Parento. I remember Clark MacArthur, yes. Nikolai Kuleman, Alexei Ponikarovsky. That's you know, how far in our area. By the way, he used to live in he used to live in Vaughn, yeah. Oh my god. Is he still in Toronto? I don't know. I think he might have come back. But I just remember that when I was growing up like when I was a kid that uh that was a big deal that people would be like, Oh, I'd see Alexei Ponograffsky at like the grocery store or something, (laughs) or I'd see him at like Finch Station or something. I don't know. That that is that's kind of funny. He's yeah. still, still in Toronto. Uh should we move on to everyone's favorite team? Okay. The Edmonton Oilers. I heard they got a top six guy. <laughs> they okay. Well, there's a couple things that we, okay. should, we have to get to to the Edmonton Oilers because they're uh, looking to make some changes. And one guy they brought in, and listen, I know he's a depth guy, but I gotta talk about it. Is Adam Cracknell, and obviously mm-hmm. Daniel pointed out in our uh, Google Doc that he's a Marley's legend. Yes, yeah, he was pretty good for that one year he was here. Yeah, I just want to make the joke that. He's going to be Connor McDavid's next winger. And they're going to the try it Oilers. no matter what. Yeah. And the Edmonton Oilers are going to pay him at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't aware he was playing in Russia. Yeah, he was uh, playing for what, one year, I think, in the KHL. Yeah. That, uh, I, I, I didn't I remember that. him. I remember him from way back, like St. Louis days. And he, he's been quite the journeyman. Yeah. Yes, yes, he has. Um, but let's get to like actual NHL player information. So let's stop talking about. <laughs> Wait, we'll, did, we'll Adam Cracknell, did Adam Cracknell play in the World Juniors? I think for the U.S. <laughs> oh, then, then it doesn't yeah. count. Then it doesn't count. Okay. Only if he plays for the Canadian yes. World Juniors team. Um, Friedman was on radio, I believe. Uh, it was WGR five fifty. Uh, Edmonton Oilers are looking at Darcy Kemper. He is a big target right now around the league. Um, Later adds he'd help the Coyotes restock most of their lost picks. Uh, Oilers have also checked in on Murray, uh, Matt Murray, uh, Frederick Anderson, and others who might be around. And speaking of Matt Murray, the Oilers and this is from Pierre Lebrun. The Oilers and Penguins have talked about Matt Murray. I'm told, but as far as I can tell, asking price is too rich for Edmonton at this point. Uh, Pierre puts first round pick 
question mark in brackets. Uh, I think Edmonton will be patient in its goalie search and the Oilers haven't ruled out bringing back Mike Smith either. So there is a lot Mm-hmm. To to break down there, let's start with why the hell would the Oilers bring back Mike Smith? I don't know. Just I've heard before where you know he's a good locker room guy. Uh, he's those type of guys that you know he is bit, he is a bit older now, but you know he's been a bit of a late bloomer. I remember what he was. He you know he really went off in 2011 and 2012, and yeah, I don't know. Just I. I don't know what they would do with that. Like this is this thing we just talk about every year with the Oilers that they're gonna try to fix the goaltending situation. And honestly, like I think that if you're gonna if you're gonna go with the core you have now, like you don't go for for you know someone like Mike Smith or Amico Koskinen now. You gotta if you want to get better, you're gonna have to get something on the line. And I I think Darcy Kemper kind of fits that for me. I think. I don't know what the Coyotes are going to think about what they want to do with the team right now, but in terms of someone that kind of shows that consistency and is a guy that, you know, he is right in his prime. He was a bit of a late bloomer too. Like I think he was a 2009 pick and he is someone that could be with that core long-term. So I think the Oilers have to give something back, but you know, cool. well, the Oilers have 14th overall mm-hmm. uh, just below the Leafs or just above the Leafs. Listen, Darcy Kemper has a contract extension already set, so you don't even have to deal with extending him. And so it's uh, the next two years at four and a half. I'd say that is a pretty good deal considering how well Darcy Kemper has played for the last few years. But if you're like Ken Holland seemed pretty adamant on not wanting to give up that first round pick. Uh, around the trade deadline. Now, he's he does have to... One of the issues I had with Edmonton at the beginning of the year, and they proved me wrong in the regular season, but like the playoffs exposed it again, is that they didn't have... I didn't think their goaltending was up to par. Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith, I'm sorry, that's not good enough for, mm. for your team. Like, does it make more sense for them to make that trade for Darcy Kemper or wait to see what the goalie market is? Hmm, that's a pretty interesting. I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think if Ken Holland is not willing to deal with that pick, I think you just keep it. But you kind of have to realize, too, that, you know, once you do that, they're going to have to delve into the prospect pool. And a guy I'm kind of thinking of is like Raphael Lavoie who is someone that, you know, he wasn't a top pick. He kind of dropped in the draft into the second round. He's someone that's pretty sought after. He had a solid, solid junior season. He played for the juniors. He was, you know, better than where he was drafted in, like, in the second round. And he's someone that could kind of be a trade piece for them. I'm just thinking of that because of their last two first-round picks, it was Philip Broberg and Evan Bouchard. And the way they are with their defense, I don't think – I think those guys are kind of untouchable right now. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely, and I think I wouldn't touch. Yeah, I wouldn't touch. Like, there's a few guys I think are untouchable, other than the obvious two in McDavid and Drysaddle. Yeah. Like, I don't think you touch Broberg, Bouchard, or even even someone. Sorry, like Ethan Bear. Yeah, uh, and he's an RFA. I'm, don't touch Ethan Bear. 
Um, I think it's when we look at all of that, I just look at the roster now, I'm like, there's not really anything else we can give the Coyotes in a hypothetical trade because, I don't know. Yeah, it's... Not much there. They're, I mean, the Coyotes are in a whole different uh, ball game because they're in, they're in deep because of their losing their, their draft picks and John Chaika leaving and still looking for a GM. Like, what the hell is going, going gonna, on? I think they're going to really try to just recoup assets at this point. Um, and we talked about it. They're the going to rebuild. not there. Yeah. It seems like they're just they're set for a rebuild. Uh, before we move on, what goalie do you think the team goes after? The, the Edmonton yeah, Oilers? Yeah, the Oilers. Um, I have this weird scenario where this has happened a lot in baseball recently where there's these top guys that people kind of hype up and then they don't sign a contract until later into the off season. So I'm just thinking of like, you know, like a Manny Machado situation or like a Bryce Hopper situation, not guys of that magnitude, but guys that you kind of think has that big price tag. And I have a feeling like Braden Holby is not going to break the bank with the way the cap is. I think he's going to wait Okay. And I think a team like Edmonton will oh give him God. that contract, but like oh. not, not, not break the bank. He's going to kind of realize he's not like a seven or 8 million kind of guy and going to go with a reasonable contract. Listen, if that Robin Leonard, and I know he's come out and denied it uh, uh, up until this point, the Robin Denner, Leonard deal that was looking at five years around uh, just about $5 million, that complete, I, I think that changes the market in terms of Markstrom and yeah. Holby. Like, I think Markstrom can still get more because Vancouver was riding Markstrom. But if I'm Braden Holby and I see the Darcy Kemper deal and I see the the Robin Leonard deal, if it looks like that, I'm I'm like, oh my God. Like, what, what do you do if you're Braden Holby? You sign a one-year deal and prove yourself? Or do you say, hey, let's get that secured. Let's... Fine, we won't get as much money, but we'll get that security. It's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. This reminds me of um when Cody Franzen was a free agent, where like technically, like you know, he's we love Cody, but like you know, he's not a top tier guy. But I remember going into free agency from the Nashville Predators after the Leafs trade that he was considered like I think the most sought after defenseman because he was a right hand. Uh, yeah. he was like right right handed, and he was a good this. offensive defenseman guy, and. Remember, he had to wait so long until, like, the Sabres eventually kind of gave him a contract. And, you know, it didn't turn out too well. Because wasn't he looking – I remember he was looking for a hefty deal. Yeah, and I think that's going to happen to Braden Holtby where (laughs) he's going to look for the hefty deal. And I think I agree with you. Like, he might have to take a prove-yourself one-year deal because, you know, that was a pretty – that was disastrous last season. Or this season. It, it was. It was very, very disastrous, especially the playoffs, um, considering all the rumors and mumbo-jumbo that's come out. Uh, that's come out since then. I want to throw this idea your way. Um, now, Friedman's brought up multiple times. Um, Fried, so uh, he believes the Calgary Flames are looking at defense options uh, they've looked at 
Ekman Larson. Tree Living used to work in Arizona, knows him very well. They've investigated Rasmus Ristolainen. I don't know if it's ever been close, but they've considered it. He then said, I do think the Calgary Flames are, at the very least, gouging interest on Johnny Goudreau. They're going to be very careful with this one. I think they'll consider it, but they're determined to not be stupid. Now, the idea is, and do the, is there a trade that works around Johnny Goudreau for Oliver Ekman Larson? Now, I'm not saying one for one. Obviously, I, you, it's up for debate who's adding what. I think both teams end up adding something. But is there a deal there? I think there'd be something there. Um, I think the way the Coyotes kind of acquire guys is Goudreau's kind of a name where it's the same thing we said with Phil Kessel where he kind of goes there for the namesake. You know, he technically has had his struggles, but they go there for a low market team that, you know, could advertise, Hey, we got a star guy. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it will work well for Johnny Goudreau to go there. You know, like the criticism isn't there. Um, he can kind of just work on his game. But at the same time, too, like we look at Phil Kessel, where it completely imploded for him offensively when he that's, went to the Coyotes. And that's the thing. And I look at – I look at – I look – I've been comparing Phil Kessel and Johnny Goudreau, simply the the type of player that they are. And I brought I think I brought this up on the podcast before, that they're very similar in terms of – you Johnny Goudreau isn't the guy – now I think it's be, it's it's being known that Johnny Goudreau's not the guy you build around, but he's a very good piece that you add to the puzzle. Yeah. And that's exactly what Phil Kessel is. He did it in Pittsburgh. And right, you you traded Phil Kessel, and yes, I understand he played third line wing, but he was that he supposed he was a top six guy in Toronto, and it seems like he's a top six guy. Uh, in Arizona too. It's just you bring in Phil Kessel and you're treating him. It feels like because Clint Keller didn't have, I, I, maybe he's having his sophomore slump. But it's you're you're trying to now build with Phil Kessel as a main guy, and that's just not it's his just style. This reminds me. I'm like you know, I'm like Goudreau kind of has a pretty solid cap hit. I think it's under six million. Mm-hmm. That I think it's just that. Six I, I, I had this crazy idea, but I know it will never work. Is when you thought of Malkin and Crosby and like the puzzle. I'm like, hey, who's the next like one and two punch like that? And I'm like, the Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. Like, no yeah. way Calgary makes that trade with them. They make a trade with Edmonton for yeah. I'm like. I'm we, like, wait, we just I'm talked like, about Dana, we just talked about how Edmonton has no pieces to trade, and now we're talking about them trading for Johnny Goudreau. I think like where'd we go? I think okay, I think like if you elevate the conversation away from I don't know, like when they said they're not gonna deal a pick. I think if you're gonna get someone with I guess term and someone with a bit of security, you you kind of delve in more into like, you know, the higher end pieces of your prospect pool. And, you know, if they feel that, you know, a Broberg or a Bouchard are not, are, is, are, you know, they're going to pick one or the other, then, you know, you could probably use one to like be a centerpiece of a package for Goudreau. I just, just random idea because I'm just like, who are the top two centers right now? Like the one, two punch, you could do something like that. Oh my God. Okay. Or, you know, even Colorado, Colorado. But the thing is, I think they need a center. 
center depth more than they need like another winger. Oh, that would be because <laughs> the money works. I think the money works. Actually, no. Well, I think I, like I'll change I, my mind. Colorado listen. because um, they have what like Alex Newhook. They have Martin Kaut. They have Tyson Bowles. Yeah, they have a bunch of guys where Connor Timmons. Yeah, they could. They could just go like, "Hey, you want these prospects?" and like take these guys. But I, mean, I don't know if Calgary's yeah. in that situation right now. I think they still want to get proven talent for someone like Goudreau. Listen, if I if and I'm I've completely made these rumors up. They weren't even connected at all. I just said they're looking at Oliver Ekman Larson. They're interested also in trading Johnny Goudreau. Hey, like that there there could be a deal that could that somehow could work. I really think that no matter what, if that trade happens, Oliver Ackman, the, the Calgary Flames win that trade because everyone's talking as if OEL needs a new, a new, some new scenery and that guy's going to blossom. And I think considering what the hell is going on in Calgary in terms of, listen, they're losing like half their defense, like you have their defense or UFAs. Mm-hmm. Right, they obviously have uh, Hannafin. They all they have Giordano. They have uh, Rasmus Anderson. But Mo, like Hamannik's a UFA. Brody's a UFA. Uh, they brought in Forbort. They brought in Gustafson. Both those guys are UFAs. Bringing in a guy like OEL would be a hell of a signing, and and I think it takes and I think it takes some pressure off of Mark Giordano. I think so too. Like. You know, we always talk about the late bloomers, but this guy, you know, I think he reached a certain point where like, this guy's what, almost 37? Yeah. That it's, it's you know, he's not going to play like that 40-minute game anymore no. or anything like that. I think that they have to kind of get more help on that. If they still want to contend, they still want to be, you know, competent team, they kind of, they go with a trade like someone like OEL, not like my hypothetical things of like Colorado and Edmonton. I just kind of thought of, I don't know. I just thought of like a Phil Kessel situation like that, where he kind of goes to a team and he doesn't be the focal point anymore, but I don't know. He's still young. We'll see. But he is still young in terms of that. I think that Calgary really does have to make a big push this time around. Um, they can't. I think. I don't think they could. They go back next season and they kind of show the same core this time because no. it's just been so disappointing. Listen, and and I think this is an important point. I don't think you're trading Gujo or Monahan because I'm just assuming those two guys are are the kind of names that are out there. You don't trade those guys just to trade them. Like if there's a deal out there that that seems to work. I think you do it. Like, I don't think you just trade Goudreau for picks and prospects. Like you'll want to bring in someone. And I think for Calgary, they want to bolster their defense. Like there's definitely a trade out there where you can get a decent defenseman uh, for Johnny, Johnny Goudreau. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and listen, it's the same argument I have with William Nylander. Like you're not trading William Nylander just for the fun of it. You're trading William Nylander to bring in, or a, someone reliable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, before we move on, uh, we should talk about Jeff Ward. Uh, I believe CJ brought it up on headlines last night that uh, it's more and more likely that Jeff Ward will stay on as as head coach of 
the permanent head coach of the Calgary Flames. And I want to know what you think about that. I think, yeah, it just kind of consistency there for the Flames. He did pretty well um, coming in for Bill Peters. And I think he's a guy that, you know, if there's been kind of a conversation already that they want him to be the permanent coach, you know, it's, you know, it's, he, he's the kind of guy where I look at his lineups and he wasn't afraid to kind of move things around, especially when the team was struggling and, right. He, you know, the players trusted him with that. Like, they were thrusted into this new role where, you know, maybe Sean Monaghan's not going to be on the top line or, you know, Johnny Grigo's not going to be with Sean Monaghan. And the way he's been able to kind of, like, fix things around and, you know, kind of use the talent in different ways kind of speaks volumes to, you know, a coach that's willing, you know, he's willing to win no matter what, like, the slumps kind of show. And if he's a guy that could kind of ride the ship as it is now, then I think it's a good signing. Do you think there's any? Uh, well, I think believe I believe I close the tweet, but I believe Calgary was one of the teams who had cut some salary uh, for staff. Do you think that there's any thought of? Listen, let's just Jeff Ward is a good option, but he'll be relatively cheap to some of the better options that are out there. Like, let's remember, uh, Bruce Boudreaux uh, is still out there. Gerard Gallant is still out there. Peter Laviolette is still out there. Mike Babcock is still out there. Like, yes, one of them is going to get the Washington job, but there are still three of those coaches. It, do There has to be some inkling of, hey, we don't want to spend all that money. Let's just use the good option. And, and it's completely reasonable. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. I think you kind of go with the guy, you know, in-house mm-hmm. for the price point you want instead of going for, you know, the home run of like the really well-known coach. And it's kind of going into the, the unknown. Like I mean, if hypothetically they get a guy like Gerard Gallant on, you know, a pretty pricey deal and it just doesn't work out. Like it's just another thing for the flames to kind of think about. And I think where they are now, it just, they just want consistency. Uh, for sure. Now, I I can't believe I have to say this because I thought this guy would never get a job in the NHL after Michael Russo absolutely just murdered him, <laughs> murdered him <laughs> in his in his wonderful athletic article. Um, Paul Fenton is gonna be joining the Panthers, I assume, yeah, as an okay. assistant GM. That's. What? I mean, if John Ferguson Jr. could find a way back, this guy could find a way back. I mean, listen, it just confirms that there's 200 hockey men, and, yeah. uh, and we're not trying uh, anything new. The thing is, okay, so I was kind of rough on him with the first time when he got fired because I remember the article saying that he had a feeling about Kevin Fiala, and that has worked out for a while. He but still it was just, just had a feeling. Yeah, it's just just funny to say, like, why did you make that trade for and getting rid of Mikhail Grandel? It's like, oh, you know, I just had a feeling about this guy. Listen, you can be right about it, but it doesn't mean you made the smart decision at the time. Yeah. Yes, Kevin Fiala was was a young guy. He, he it didn't seem like things were very working out well in in Nashville. So you trade Mikhail Grandlin and you bring in Kevin Fiala and. Last year it didn't work, but this year it seemed Kevin Fiala was on another level. Considering they have no other offensive options, uh, they have Jason Zucker, 
That's it. Oh, they have J- they, well, they had Jason Zucker before trading him. And and who's your best now? Who's your best offensive option? Uh, Jared Spurgeon. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's Jared Spurgeon and Matt Dumba and Kevin Fiala. Now, yeah. Right? So, like, congratulations, you had a feeling. I don't think that's how you make a decision. <laughs> I don't make decisions based on how I'm feeling. And he, I think, yeah. And, he, and the craziest thing that he did, well, number one, other than signing Matt Zuccarello, and I'm like, why? Why? Mm-hmm. But he traded Nino Nita Ryder for Victor Rask, who was literally going to be bought out that summer. Uh, pretty bad. He did not scout Victor Rask. No one went to scout Victor Rask. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that was really bad asset management there on it's, his part. Yeah, like I think, fine, he made some moves that benefited the wild based off of feelings, apparently. I think it just, it just didn't, you know, when you're, at, when you're making these type of moves, you know, you try to like get them to another level. But I think the way he kind of did, it's just, he just kind of, it just, things just kind of settled. It just, they left them where they were. Because in the like middle this, of nowhere, that's where yeah, they were, right? He doesn't think this is what I kind of felt like. Where like he left the team, and then they had this opportunity to be like, you know, let's get some cap space for now, and you know, you know, gauge where we are with our young guys. You know, like they have Jordan Greenway, they have Luke Cunning, and then <laughs> you sign Matt Zuccarello to a deal. Like it just pushes you back to, I guess, cap hell with all these contracts now. Like you just added another long term contract to a guy who's over thirty. To another, like already a huge pile of those kind of contracts. And then, who, why don't who signed the Jared's? But the, the thing they signed the Jared Spurgeon deal. And I don't know if it was Garen or um, Fenton to do that. I'm gonna find out. I just I, it doesn't it didn't make sense to me at the time because he's gonna be what he, I think when we did it he was gonna be 31 when it starts when yeah. it started and it's seven years. Are you kidding me? And and you know what? Listen, I guess I shouldn't. I should give them the benefit of the doubt because who the hell would have saw this pandemic coming? Coming all, it all looked as if hey, like we're just gonna be, the cops gonna be going up. There's gonna be no worries. Mm -hmm. So I guess I can't really give them crap for that. But man, the. I guess the the good thing in this scenario is that he's not a GM. Maybe like my understanding is he was kind of good at scouting uh, in that sense. You know, like they did have some pretty good, good prospects that that's the advantage I see with the Panthers because we talked about the Panthers. They don't have anyone. Yeah. Like Alex, Alexander Barkov is going to be a UFA in two years. You think he stays? I don't know. That'd be a huge it'd be, blunder. It'd be John Tavares leaving the New York Islanders was huge. I think Alex Barkov leaving the Panthers is bigger than that. Wow. Because because he is like I understand John Tavares was that franchise, but at least they had some guys around him. Like, you look at the team now. Like, the guys who are thriving are guys who were there when John Tavares was there. Was there. 
who does Florida have? Like they're gonna lose one of uh, one of Hoffman or Dadanov, if not both. Mike Matheson is a scratch. Yeah, you have Air Neckblad and Keith Yandel. Keith Yandel's not getting any younger. They have Gregory Denisenko. <laughs> they, they have Sergei Bobrovsky. Who's going to be 33 when uh, Barkov becomes UFA? They, I mean, the, the, the bright light of this organization right now is Spencer Knight. Yeah. You know, not Askarov level, but, you know, he's good. Not, not there yet. Yeah, not, not, yet. not, not that there high. Yet. Not yeah. that high. But, like, if I'm Barkov, okay, Florida, what – like, I think Bill Zito has his work cut out for him in what am I going to do for Barkov to prove that he should stay? I think they just need more scores and more talent, like, I everywhere. I think – I think, I don't know, it's like an illusion with them. Like, the big contracts kind of masked for the fact that they were not a very good team. That No. They just, they didn't fit very well. Like, it reminded me of a kinder surprise. Like, I don't know. It's just like maybe like the, the toy inside okay. are the prospects okay. that we have yet to see. But then like what What is... prospects? <laughs> uh, but what we've, I Spencer Knight. Denisenko, uh, but like what we see, what is known is the chocolate, and that is Huberto and Barkov. Yeah, that's it. Like if I'm if I'm Barkov, and listen, Huberto's up the year after. So if I'm Barkov, and in two years I look at what prospects does this team have? Is there any chance this team's getting any better anytime soon? That's what I'm using to say, am I staying or am I not staying? Like, go, like, this guy should be winning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if he wasn't in Florida, he'd, he'd be much more well-known. Like, I think we've talked about it. He's probably one of the most, if not the most, underrated player in the league because he's in Florida. Mm-hmm. Like, not Tampa Bay. I mean the Florida Panthers. Just that team. Everyone, everyone knows everyone on Tampa Bay because they're good. <laughs> like, yeah. Do something. It's it's the same thing. Arizona and Florida have to do something, or I those teams are going to be relocated. If there's any Coyotes or Panthers fans listening to this, support your team. Get the jersey. Yeah, please. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. <laughs> It's just one of those things where it's like if you don't want your team to relocate, support them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we move uh, to the playoffs, we got two two trades that um, that happened. The first one, uh, the Minnesota Wild have acquired Nick Bukestad from the Pittsburgh Penguins <laughs> for a conditional 2021 seventh round pick. Wow, and the and the condition is Bukestad has to play seventy games next season or gets thirty five points and fifty percent salary retained. Wow, that's yeah. Man, this, um, I, yeah. I was kind of excited when they got him to be honest. Where uh, the Penguins were kind of getting these guys, where I I assumed at the time it was going to help them with their core, like Jared McCann and Nick Bukestad. Like they got rid of like the Derek Brassard contract and. The way I kind of saw it was they were kind of replenishing 
their top nine with this. I think Bustead could have come in and be, you know, that big third line center for the Penguins. He could have some offensive edge to him, but I think it just didn't work out. I think the injuries kind of got to him. He just never looked like he looked really out of place in the lineup. And yeah. it was kind of puzzling for me because this is a young guy that has gone through the development develop developmental system for so long. Like he was an NCAA guy. The Panthers kind of brought him up slowly. And, you know, there were signs that, you know, if he's not going to be a top line guy, but he's a guy that could anchor your top nine. It it seems like this deal was really just a capped up. Yeah. Like, listen, I know Nick Bukestad, Bukestad isn't the best player, but a seventh round pick. Yeah. Like you're saving two million dollars in cap space, and I think maybe it's more of because I believe he was actually owed more money uh, than his cap. Yeah, his cap hit was four point one. Uh, his base salary for the year was five point two five. So back to what we were talking about before, teams are cutting costs. This is a perfect example of it right here. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, kind of. Kind of a weird. I know, like for it's kind of a good story for him going to the wild. Like he yeah. went to Minnesota Duluth. He's a Minnesota boy. Yeah, he and could probably find his place there. Like maybe as a third line center, and maybe he'll thrive because like the Wild don't have a lot of offense. They do need another center. Uh, Miko Koivu is it seems all but retired, all but retired, or all but not. Well, he won't be playing. It doesn't seem like the Wild are going to be signing him. Uh, for next season. So listen, Nick Bukes. I think I think the injuries. You're right. The injuries got to him. Wasn't working in Pittsburgh. I think he just needs he needs a place to thrive. And you look at what what <laughs> what happened to Kevin Fiala. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they the same thing could happen uh, to Nick Bukes. Dad. So we'll we'll see what happens um, with that one. And I have to bring this trade up. Or else Adam will get very mad at me. Um, Joel Edmondson is traded from the Carolina Hurricanes to the Montreal Canadiens for a fifth round pick. You know, I just thought of when I saw this trade where immediately when Joel Edmondson is traded, another defenseman of like the same caliber just quickly replaces him in the Canes yeah. lineup. It's yeah. just. Yeah. Like they weren't, they probably weren't even going to re sign him. Yeah. Right. What do listen? I think there, Bergevin seemed to get some backlash on this trade from what I read on Twitter because it's like you're giving up a fifth round pick and you couldn't wait until October 9th. I personally like, I'm okay with it. I remember when uh, Dan Hamhuse like switched teams three times before he signed with the uh, Canucks. That was a third round pick. Yeah. That, was being thrown around for him and I remember the Penguins did that and then the Islanders did that for him and no the, the Islanders yes the Islanders did that for him and the way I kind of see it is that what you're using that fifth round pick for is you can negotiate the term you want and the the cap you want the cap hit you want for a guy that you don't have to kind of compete with other teams right now yeah to overpay this guy and you know they can negotiate you know there's more time to say, hey, 
this is the role you'd you'd plead playing and this is what we could offer you you know we'd love for you to sign here and you know honestly like a fifth if it's gone it's gone and they're they're a team who has loads of draft picks and and when adam adam talks about it all the time how many uh, draft picks these guys have and i think to give up a fifth really isn't that big of a deal it, especially because okay you know what joel edmondson maybe didn't have the best of seasons uh with the hurricanes but i argue that he was important to the the blues in that in that playoff run yeah. like yes okay they did have the guy. Obviously, they had Petrangelo, and they obviously had Pareko, they, and Bowmeister. But he was still there. Like he's a solid guy. I actually, I really like the trade. I think he's quality guy. Where he's not gonna be your top end guy, but he could fit anywhere in the lineup. He still played eighteen minutes or average eighteen minutes of ice time this year, right? So I think that's kind of what the Canadians need especially on that left side. And I think you got Petrie and you got Weber who are quality right-handed defensemen. And you just need to put a decent guy next to them. And the, the question here is what happened to that left side? And, and I'll, and I'll give you some context. There's Sharath, there's Mete, there's Kulak, there's Alex Romanov. And now there's Joel Edmondson. Who's I like what, it. Who's who's go like someone is gone. Adam's not gonna like this, but I think it's Brett Kulak. So do I. I, I think he's honest. he's the odd man out. I know that Adam likes to you know praise the Kool Aid man, but what I kind of feel is that you know he's kind of played above of what is expected of him simply because of the lack of depth. But when you get Edmondson, who I think. Is gonna just is gonna sign with the Canadians, and you have yeah. Alex Romanov coming. Like the hype for that guy, I think that yeah, Brett Kulak. It just doesn't fit the bill. Like Ben Sherratt's been okay, but he's just the consistency is there. That so, and that's 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 the other thing is now we're still we cut Brett Kulak out, but now we're still at four. We're still at four left-handed defensemen, and they said, you know. I, there's talks of some other things that are going on. Obviously, uh, Montreal testing the market on Philip Deneau and uh, and Max Domi. Like, and I and I I don't think Adam would agree with me on this one. What are the chances that they look at moving Victor Mete? Oh, that's a that's a dicey one right there. Um. I think that if a team is willing to kind of give them another similar forward of that age, mm-hmm. then I think it could work like a one for one in that situation. But I think Mete has is a guy where I think he's not the best two way guy, but he's someone that could still develop into like a solid piece long term. Yeah. Um he could probably get the most value out of them, but I think in my opinion, I don't think they should move him. I think they should still focus on what they're going to do with that whole forward situation. The reason, like, there's two things that are going through my mind right now. Number one is that they don't, like, they're going to move a couple pieces, a couple defensemen, or they don't 
there this is kind of insurance that if Alex Romanov doesn't necessarily work out at the beginning of the season and they want to send him down to the AHL because we've all been assuming that Romanov's going to play on the bottom pair next season and listen I we don't know if it's going to work out like it, what whatever happens obviously happens and I feel like hey if Romanov doesn't work out at least we still have a guy like Joel Edmondson like it's not like our left side is god awful Mm-hmm. If Alex Romanov doesn't work out. So I think maybe the more I sit here and the more I talk about this trade, the more I'm starting to think that maybe that the Canadians did this as some type of insurance policy. If Romanov doesn't work out at the beginning of the season. Yeah, for sure. I I could see that as well. Um, Edmonton just like, yeah, what we said, the consistency guy that, you know, you know what you're kind of getting with him. He's a, a kind of bread and butter type of guy. I don't know why I keep comparing people to food right now. Um, same thing with the Kinder Surprise and the Florida Panthers. But yeah. um, the way I see Mete in this new situation on the left side is it's kind of like a Travis Dermott situation for me where he's at a point now in his career where we're going to say, okay, prove me that, like prove to me that you fit in this lineup that, you know, you could fit somewhere and kind of be someone where, you know, we're not going to give you sometimes the preferred position in the lineup you want, but we want to see, see if you can adapt and see if that you're part of the future. For sure. Uh, I mean, I guess, I mean, it seems like a minor trade, but I, when Adam eventually comes on, I think we'll most definitely. Um, <laughs> when he comes on, is, uh, is Joel Vincent <laughs> going to be a Canadian or is he... <laughs> Happens if he decides we'll to sign somewhere we'll else. Talking yeah. about it a month and a half after uh, the trade happens. Yeah. Um. What do you think about the the Philip Deneau and Max Domi situation? Um, the way okay, this is my personal opinion, but the way I see it is Deneau has just gotten used to playing top line minutes because of the lack of depth on that team, and I think that if there's that willingness for him to kind of go down the lineup, then all is great. But I, if the Canadians want to take that next step, I don't see him being your first line center. And I don't even see him see being your second line center. If you know, the young guys continue to develop, Yeah. but he's the kind of guy where, you know, it's as of right now, it's like an Anthony Sorelli situation where just because of the depth, you're not going to always be, you know, there might be some lineup changes here and there. Well, you're, you're still under the top six, but you're still be part of that really strong top nine. But his demands kind of to be the top guy. It's just like the Canadians are going to be stuck at where they are if he stays the top line center. For Max Domi, um, I, I think he just trade him at this point. I think he find something for him because I just don't think he fits. Right. Because you have he, – he, <laughs> The thing I go through is, and I brought this up with Adam before, is is Kotkin Yemi and are they ready for t- full 82 game top six minutes? That's why I'm like, okay, do you really trade Philip Deneau? Because let's say Suzuki and Kotkin Yemi, one of them aren't ready for top six minutes. You can easily slide Philip Deneau into that position and it won't be an issue. So, and, and you know he's reliable. You know he can be that shutdown guy. The, the question I still have and is what is Max Domi? 
Yeah, like I think you kind of at this situation too. You go with what you know and what's been proven, and I think that's Phil Deneau. And with Max Domi, like I think the biggest thing for me was when he was out of the top six, and you know they had to play him on the fourth line in the playoffs to make sure they get the full value of him at the center position. I think at that point, that's when I realized that he just didn't fit with this team moving forward. Like if you can't play him in crunch time, then when are you going to play him at center? Yeah. It, that's exactly it. It's, it's going to be like, listen, Mark Bergerman is not done this off season. He brought in Jake out. Like he brought in Jake Allen. He fixed the need, brought in another left hand handed defenseman, not necessarily the type of move that I would have thought of him making for that left side, but he still kind of fixed it. And now we're going to see what he does with Max Domi. It's going to be uh Quite an interesting offseason mm-hmm. for the uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. Should we look at the playoffs now? Yes. Okay. Uh, would you like to start with the East or the West? We'll start with the East. I don't know. Okay. Um, what do you think of, because this is kind of unconventional, the Tampa Bay Lightning playing with 11 forwards and seven defensemen? It's pretty unique. I think the Devils did that one year when, like, I think it was out of need that I can't remember. I think it was Peter Harold, where like one day you'll see him play. Oh, yeah, it's just one. Of, it's one of the Lou Lamorello like undrafted name. signee guys, Peter Harold. Um, yeah. I remember there used to be a Twitter thing where it's like Peter Harold is okay. And it was like <laughs> a fan, a fan, a fan like Twitter page for him. But uh, anyways, I remember where you'd see one day he's playing defense, and the next day he's playing forward. Um, I think they're just kind of doing this unconventional thing simply because, like, they want to see what kind of works with the matchups. And, you know, they've been kind of hit with a lot of injuries lately as well. So it sounds like he's um, he's the new Mark or the old Mark Pissick. Yeah. <laughs> Who scores the hat tricks as a forward and plays the right side on defense. Um, I still can't believe that happened. Um Sorry, I, I, got, I got myself it's like lost. like Brent Burns Jr. <laughs> um, what did you think of the Alex Kalorn suspension? <sighs> okay. Um, I don't know. I think, like, it's – I don't know. It, was just, it, it didn't, like, sit well with me. Um, I can understand why it kind of happened, but I, I don't know. It's just the suspensions right now are, I think, what we've been saying or like player safety, it's so hard to really understand like what their standard is for it. And for me, um, I guess it's kind of inconclusive. How about you? Yeah. I look at how they do, how they compare regular season games to the playoff games. And I'm like, okay, like, I guess, I'll, I'll deal with I'll deal with the one game suspension, knowing that it's three regular season games. I guess, like it was, I think it was a, I think it was a little bit dirty, whatever you know. But it surprised me, someone like Alex Kalorn. It surprised me a little bit. Yeah, but I think he serves the game, and I think they're playing again tonight, or and actually. The time of recording, they're playing in an hour and fifteen minutes. So, we'll see what happens when he comes back. Now, the 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 Lightning are up two to one, um, and 
it they it's a very different series than game one, right? Yeah. Game one they got they got they got beat the Islanders yeah. uh, eight to two. Good God! Um, and now it seems like they're getting like the Islanders kind of woke up. And you know what? Hey, maybe they were tired. I'm I'm not gonna hop off the idea that I don't even if you're tired you don't lose eight to two. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily think that's uh, acceptable. I don't think it's <laughs> it's an acceptable thing uh, to say. And I think they're kind of going back. Well, other than uh, game three, where it was five to three, like game two was literally a two to one game. And if the Islanders, if the Lightning win, do they look? At, do the Islanders look back at game two and say, "Man, we should have won that game." or we should have at least gotten that game to overtime with Kucherov scoring with nine seconds left. Yeah, that was, that that was pretty dicey. Um, That, that's something I think you're going to kind of look on. I think Varlamov should have made that save. I think it was a pretty savable shot. Um, Just, yeah, that overall collapse of, you know, it was a close game, but you couldn't kind of close it out and try to force overtime. Right. I think that's something you kind of really do look back on. But at the same time, too, like with game three, like I don't know what happened to the Lightning there where it just – it was a different rhythm for them that the Islanders managed to get five goals. Um, they managed to kind of play at, you know, a different pace, I think, that, you no, know, they weren't as conservative as they were in game one uh, – game two. And, because you know, game one is a different story completely. Yeah. So I think the series really started in game two. So yeah. I think it's – it's it's comes down to today, you know, like what kind of lightning team are you going to have? Are you going to match up with them defensively or are you going to just let the offensive guys kind of roll out again? Right. And, and I think we, I don't know if we necessarily talked about this before, but I think you, for me, I give a bit of an advantage to Tampa because they've played teams like the Islanders before right you play columbus columbus play is is very similar to the islanders now they don't have the scoring power the same type of scoring that the islanders do you look at boston but now boston's a little bit different because they do have that scoring power just it wasn't on for that series apparently um so I think I give the Islanders a bit of, hey, we've played these types of teams before. Well, I don't necessarily think that the Islanders have played a team like Tampa because I think Tampa's very, very unique. And they play that West Western Conference style of hockey with the Eastern scoring touch. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to add this as a random metaphor okay. hopefully because adam is gonna be listening to this but this okay. reminds me of the lightning or like you know we're not gonna get we're not gonna get dismantled again from a team with you know lesser offensive players who play a tight defensive game so it reminds me of like you know like the high ground of <laughs> the columbus blue jackets beating them last year okay and it's just this year the way the lightning's been against columbus how they've been against the islanders is you know like yeah. Return of the Jedi, where I do Luke goes up on the uh, the banister part in the um, the Emperor's throne room, and then just okay. Darth Vader is like just throws his lightsaber at him. I think it's that approach where it's like you know we're not gonna fall for this again. Okay. 
Yeah, that's what I'll I take, thought. I'll take your metaphor. I'll take your yeah. metaphor. <laughs> um, uh, well, I guess John Cooper, I just read this tweet. Uh, I'm talking about playing uh, Braden Point. Obviously, didn't play uh, mm-hmm. game three. How big of an of a miss would Braden Point be if he's out along it, like for the rest of the series? I think that's huge. I think that just what we talked about, it cuts away at that center depth that they've like, they've drafted so well to kind of, to kind of like foster. And now the way that they're going to be is that, you know, they're still going to have like the juggernauts here and there. Like you're not going to have Hedman. It's not going to have Kucherov, but it just, right. I know it's just like, it's like the heart of that lineup. Like not like their, their center depth. Um, They're already missing Stamkos. Mitchell. So. Which is I which argue, is already a huge. Big, which is a big, uh, big loss, and it seems like they haven't missed a step. Yeah, so it's it, it's interesting to kind of see that how are things going to unfold. But the way the games are, like they cannot rush Braden Point back because oh, we lost Daniel. Okay, we are back. Yes, Little technical issues, but we're good now. We're good now. Uh, before you, you you disconnected, you were talking about um, Braden Point uh, and what it would mean for the Lightning to lose Braden Point. I think yeah, it's huge. Um, I've talked about before, like that center depth they kind of have there. They're that's really drives their lineup, and to lose, you know, they already lost Stamkos. Looks like they didn't miss a step, but now you lose a Braden Point. It's like okay, now suddenly. This is a team that still has the elite players everywhere they they are. Like they have yeah. that defense, but now you're kind of losing. You're, you're losing something there, and I think like Kucherov could do something. You know, they have the other bottom guys that could do something, but it's just it's just something that if the Islanders were to pull off an upset here, that would be a storyline for sure. Saying you know they lost point, the Islanders took advantage of that. For sure, and he missed Game Three. Um, he, it's not confirmed that he's missing Game Four. Now, I believe he was skating with the team uh, during practice yesterday or uh, this morning. So we'll see. We'll see about. Um, we'll see about that. Now let's move on to the West. The last thing we have to talk about before we end the episode. It, how how are how are we at this point that it's three one uh, Dallas now? Listen, Dallas is a good team. They are, but there's not as fun. Expected this? <laughs> yeah, like who expected? Like I made the argument that Vegas was probably one of the deepest teams in the West, if not the deepest. Um, especially you know having that having Leonard and Flurry. Uh, as their one-two and having probably the deepest forward core in the West, I think their only weakness would be their defense uh, compared to the likes of St. Louis. But their forwards aren't showing up in terms of scoring. That is, that is my biggest concern with with this team right now. Like I, I have it up right here. Um, these are the guys who have scored a goal. Thomas Nosek, uh, who I believe is injured. 
Alec Martinez, Shea Theodore, Mark Stone, William Carlson, and Paul Statsny. There's some guys who should be should be putting up goals who aren't. Smith, Pacioretty, Marcheseau, Alex Tuck. Where where are those guys? Would be I think yeah. yeah. It just it's been a huge it's been a defensive series, really tight series that I don't know, they're just not they're not performing well. Like I know like Dobin has, you know, stolen a few shots here and there, but you know, what they've been able to do with like cycling through it, it just hasn't been I guess like the same enthusiasm they had in the other series that they haven't been able to kind of play their game they wanted to. And, you know, when these things keep going down to the wire, it seems like they just can't close it out. Like the, they, they always like, they would let in that like late goal and then they could just never recover. Yeah. And you brought up Anton Hudobin and I think that guy has been phenomenal for the stars. He's a UFA at the end of this year. That guy is going to command, I I don't know, maybe not in term, but I think that guy is making more money than we expected at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's an Edmonton guy. We never know. Maybe, maybe he's an, he's an Edmonton guy. Now what the, obviously I think if I asked you, okay, if I asked you, what does Dallas have to do to win the series? What would your answer be? Just keep playing their their game. I think right, that's right, right. That's like the that's what I could just kind of think of like where they've been able to find that balance between like their lineup of these guys contributing, but at the same time, like they're not letting the game get away from them. They're letting they're like letting the knights kind of con- like adapt to their type of game, and they're kind of just going with it. I think. Dallas has finally found that consistency that, you know, this whole year we talked about, like, they don't have it. Now, two questions about the Golden Knights. Number one, what does the team have to do differently to come back from this deficit? And if and number two, if you are Pete DeBoer, who are you starting tomorrow night? Um, my heart says flurry, but <laughs> Right now, I'm still going to go with Robert Leonard. He's he's the guy who's game-tested right now. He's been their guy throughout it all. You know, it's not his fault they're not scoring. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Um, I think in terms of the forwards, they just have to remember themselves in a way. Like, they need to kind of dial it up. Like, these are the guys where, you know, you brought them in to be these pieces that could get you – deep into the playoffs and if they want to take that next step if they want to make a comeback which is i believe entirely possible like no they're not getting blown out in these games they just need to play their game properly like the golden knights need to wake up offensively do you, do you think there's like you know obviously you look at the end of game game three and it seemed like robin leonard might have tweaked something going into overtime and then last night it seemed like something was wrong with robin leonard is there any chance that Robin Leonard has some type of injury and he's still playing? No, there's always that possibility, you know, like that, that, uh, those little playoff things that players tend to not disclose later on. We're like, Hey, by the way, like, I remember Jeff Carter after a thousand minutes, like, Hey, by the way, I played with a broken foot. Patrice, but, uh, Patrice. Yeah, oh, Patrice I, had, I had a punctured lung. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know. It just, every time we, go back to that goalie situation. It just, 
I, I don't know what you would do with this. I don't know what you would do because, like, if you start Leonard and he actually is injured, you kind of risk – you really risk that. No, like, not right. just the win, but you also risk him. And then if you have, like, Flurry come in and, like, he loses, it's just going to be another media thing. Like, oh, should have gotten Robin Leonard. Yeah, 100%. Now, you wrote – uh, you sent me a message last night. I didn't even – realize it happened that Alex Tuck cross-checked Corey Perry. So he's now officially not a friend of the show. Yeah. Adam will uh, think otherwise, but you know, he's not here to say Corey but, Perry is not a friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of the cross-check? Uh, I don't know. It just, it laid him flat. It laid him pretty flat. Like I, you know, they're both skating into opposite directions that, you know, it was kind of a big hit. You know, it. I I, I joke that, you know, Alex Tuck's not a friend of the show, but <laughs> I know it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't malicious in any way. Aww. He didn't try to, in here and there, but like he didn't try to like, like it was a statement hit. Yeah. But it wasn't to the head. So at least that was okay. I have the body more, check. Yeah. Like I have more of an issue that, so he didn't have, Corey Perry most definitely did not have a puck and, have the puck and he was standing that this happened very close by to a referee and there was no call like listen i'm not gonna sit here and say alex Tuck should be suspended no i i that's not that's not the case but th- it was a cross check yeah and the refs didn't call it and i feel like we're back at this page where like what the hell like wh- what's the rules and i understand you know what i i don't you know what i don't understand why why it's like this the whole when it's the playoffs put the put the rule book away it, yeah it, it it doesn't make sense what's the point of having a rule book that's true i don't know it's between just like those kind months, of things. between the months of april to april to june i'm allowed to commit crimes and i don't get penalized that's what this is saying that's the exact same like it's pretty much it's pretty close I think it just, I don't know. It just, in it a way, I kind of see it's like, let the boys play, but it's at the same time, it's just, yeah, you know, stay consistent it, with the rules. It's the rule, like, it's our rule book. Like, then don't, then let's make a second rule book just for the playoffs. Yeah. Like, there's the reasons, the, there's a reason the rules are in place. Maybe you should follow them. Mm-hmm. Um, last thing before we go. Now, uh, Scott Oak talked to, uh, Jim Nell, who is the Dallas Stars uh, general manager. And it seemed like he wants Rick Bonus to come back as head coach. And it, and it seems like he's leaving it up to, obviously, he's leaving it up to Rick Bonus to decide if he wants to stay or not. Mm-hmm. Do you think, number one, do you think Rick Bonus deserves to be in the permanent head coach? And do you think Rick Bonus stays with the team? I think from what's happened this year, he's really proven himself. Um, I think taking it away from, uh, like taking the reins from Jim Montgomery has been huge for Dallas. Like what all those things were kind of saying like, oh, these are what the stars are. Tyler Sagan's not even playing on the first line as their center. Jamie Ben, you know, what happened to Jamie Ben? But like he's been able to kind of like rally the team together and yeah. kind of, you know, make them a contender like i never thought i would say this but the dallas stars are a contender and they are yeah you know if you you have all these guys coming into their prime these guys who are in their prime these guys with you know jamie Benn rediscovered himself 
they rediscovered his prime. Um, you, you don't you don't mess that you don't mess around with that. I think you you bring him back. Yeah, like the only guy who I haven't who maybe hasn't performed as we expected is Tyler Sagan. Like that guy, he has he played well. Sure, has he put up the points? Not really. No. And I think that's what the biggest is the biggest issue I have uh, with Tyler Sagan. So I, that's the only guy I'd like to see more of. But I think right, Rick Bonus deserves a job. And if I'm Rick Bonus, I think you, I think you stay in Dallas. Like let's look, like looking at the other teams. Like where you, where are you gonna go to have a, the same op, same type of opportunity that you'd have in Dallas, or one better? Not many places. Like I think Dallas is a contender. I think they're gonna be a contender next year. Um, I think, and and it seems like that everything's just gelling with mm-hmm. the Dallas Stars in the playoffs. Now, God, make sure they do that in the regular season next year because it didn't look like this um, in the regular season this year uh, back in March. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else. Do you? I think I'm good. Um, I think final thoughts on the whole thing with the Stars is, you know, for years they've been adding – They've been drafting, you know, they've been okay with drafting. Um, that, you know, this is at a point now where this is what you are looking for. <laughs> yeah. That uh, keep it together. Smart decision. Yes. Smart decision. Um, would you like to take it away? Yeah. So to all our listeners, we love you, first of all. We'll start with that. But also, if you enjoyed this episode – Please give us a like, a subscribe, you know, a five stars. But, you know, even if you don't give us the five stars, we're going to go back to this. If you don't give us the five stars, if you give us less than that, let us know why. And we'll address it. We'll actually address it. We'll, we'll leave a review. Yeah, leave a review. Tell us, hey, I love this. Or, you know, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't like the Star Wars references, but I don't know. I don't know that. And I don't know if that's <laughs> negotiable. We're still going to keep those. But, yeah, check us out on Instagram. Yeah. on youtube on spotify on voice ed thank you again for being our platform and yeah we will see you guys next time yep see you thanks